We are going to be in Ephesians this morning, chapter 4, and last Sunday I shared with you about the church empowered. Uh, you have been praying for and seeking God's guidance for leadership in your church. Uh, there are other churches that are in that process as well. Uh, but I want you to understand this morning that, that as God ultimately brings someone to you, whenever that is, we need to understand that the pastor is not the church. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. The pastor is called to shepherd a church, to teach and preach and, and encourage and counsel and protect and all of those things that pastoral leadership provides. But you are the body of Christ. I know that there are times when someone has been called to a church and uh, not everybody has been in favor of that. Matter of fact, I, I've, I've actually heard someone say, you know, I was, I was here before you came. I'll be here after you're gone. You know, they really don't have that long-term <laughs> commitment to, to somebody new. But you're the body of Christ. You are the ones who live here and have lived here and are going to live here. And you are going to be the ones who are serving in this church and in this community. And it's important for us to remember that and understand it. We also understand the pastor doesn't work for you. He works for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And the pastor is called by him to serve him and seek to fulfill his will for a body of believers and in his ministry. The church is not designed or created for the individual, but the individual for the church. Personal preferences have to be taken out of the way in order for God to lead the body of Christ with or without a pastor to engage the community, engage the ministries that he has called them to have. And I'm a firm believer that God, according to his word, provides all the various giftedness you need in order to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in the church if the body of believers understand what their spiritual gifts are and use them for his will and for his glory. Many times we have people who have spiritual gifts, but they're not involved, they're not engaged, they're not serving, they're not using those, those gifts to help strengthen the church to help disciple others, to help reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God designed the church to do the work of the church. And that is the whole family of God because we are all his children through faith in Jesus Christ. And he is our redeemer. God's family is what Jesus called the church in Matthew 16 when he said, I will build my church, which is really quite uh, refreshing because if it was left up to us, we'd be in worse shape than we're in now. Jesus Christ builds the church, but he builds it through his children, through the equipping of the saints, which we'll talk about here in a moment. Last week, as, as I shared with you about empowering, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do all the things that, that God has empowered us to do. He gave us miraculous speech, a miraculous message, understanding, discernment, endurance, determination, 
confidence, peace, love, joy, and hope. He gives us all we need. We have all the energy, all the spirit in us to be able to accomplish it if we will accomplish it. But remember, you are the church. And the church, that term means those who are called out. We are called, they are called out of their sin, out of their self-sufficiency, called out of darkness, called out of pride, called out of their priorities, and called out of hopelessness. That's what Jesus Christ does for us when he calls us out of the darkness and brings us into the light. He also calls us into his grace and mercy, love, and forgiveness. We're called into God's family. We're called into service. We're called into God's mission. We're called into his promises, and we're called into his light. The church is not an institution, but it's an intimate fellowship. It's an organism that functions and lives and thrives off all that which makes it up. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the church that is prepared and equipped for service. Not just prepared, not just equipped, but with the idea of serving. You see, when we talk about discipleship, which is really part of the equipping process, many times we're thinking about Bible studies. We're thinking about coming together and studying and getting deeper into God's word, which certainly that is a part of it, but that's just one side of it. The other side is the walking with Christ, walking with another believer, walking with a mature believer, walking with a new believer to help them see how to engage the community around them. Remember, Jesus took his disciples and for almost three years, they walked with him. They saw him interact with the community, how he dealt with challenges and issues and struggles and confrontations. They witnessed that themselves. Sometimes we're so focused on the Bible study part of it and Bible knowledge that we forget that you have to go outside the study room and get into the messy community in which we live and learn how to deal with people who are lost and without Christ and not have an expectation that they're going to be different than, than they can be by their very nature. Sin nature means that they're going to act in sinful ways. Why are we surprised by that? What we should be surprised at is when God's children act in sinful ways. Let the world be the world, but it will change only when those who know Christ and understand him have the Holy Spirit in them. will go out, love on them, care for them, share the good news with them, and then as they receive Christ, help them to mature in Christ. That's the discipleship process. In our passage this morning, let me read through that beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4. It's a familiar passage. And I'm going to share about three things from this uh, with you that I pray that, uh, that uh, will be understandable and applicable for you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, the scripture says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, this is Paul writing, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of priest, 
of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascend mean except that he descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill all the universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, there are a lot of things in this passage, and we're not going to cover each and every one of them, but I do want to highlight a few things that I think are important and necessary for us to understand as a body of Christ. The first thing is this. We look at the heart of the church. Notice first that we are the body. It's not one of those things where you come to Christ and then say, well, I don't want to be a part of a body. I just want to do my own thing. No, in Christ, you become one of his children. You become part of the body of Christ, whether you really want to be or not. Now, I really believe that when the Holy Spirit comes in, there's, there's a drawing that, that you need to be with one another. You want to be with one another. And as the body of Christ... We are encouraged to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, we are never worthy in the eyes of Christ, though we are declared righteous. We are declared worthy. That's why he went to the cross, so that we could stand before the Father. But our goal should seek to be more like Christ than we are more like the world. In fact, I used to use an illustration of, of one of those uh, electronic things that, that measure current, you know, and it has the up and down thing. And I just forgot the name of it, but you got the idea. And in the middle of the screen is a, is a straight line. And then this thing oscillates like this. And, and I've shared with people in, in some Bible studies, I said, our goal is to take and get those, those peaks and valleys closer to the line. Jesus is the standard. He's the line. And our goal in our life should be to try and become more like him in every part of our life, to get close to him. We'll never get there, but we should seek to try to achieve that. We are not saved to continue to live life like we were living in the past. No, we were saved and made new creations to live our life in a way that truly represents Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Live a life worthy of your calling, of the calling you have received, because your calling live appropriately. Live as Christ's followers. Live with Christ clothed in you and around you. Let people see Jesus in you, because that's how they're going to determine who he really is. Not whether you go to church or not, or not whether you're in Bible studies. They want to see your life truly representing Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. Secondly, we are also to be completely humble and gentle. 
We are to be patient, bearing with one another. The word it means literally to suffer long. In the King James, it always said long suffering. And I know sometimes in life when we're dealing with individuals or we're dealing with situations, it seems like we're suffering and we're suffering for a very long time. That's literally what the term means. But he said to be patient, to be humble, to be gentle, bearing with one another because we're family. Family is not always perfect. Family does not always do things the way you'd like family to do. They don't always love as they should love. They don't always care for each other the way that they should care for each other. But we're still family. And family still comes together. And humbly we seek to serve one another and look out for the welfare of others before our own. We should be encouraging. We should be hum humble in that service. Or we should be gentle with one another. And we should bear with one another out of love for one another. We love Christ. And as a result of us loving Christ and Christ in us, we should be able to love those around us. Now, there are times in our humanness we would look before Christ and say, I can't love that person. But in Christ, we can. And the only thing that gets in the way of us loving our brothers and sisters in Christ and dwelling together in unity, the only thing that gets in the way is not what they've done, not what they're doing. The only thing that gets in the way is us. I remember a story a long time ago, don't know if it's true or not, about a pastor who on a Sunday morning told his church, he said, tonight at the six o'clock service, I'm going to show you the one person in this church that is hindering everything we're trying to do. I'm going to show you the one person that gets in the way of everything because they're not committed, they're not serving, they're not, they're not loving, they're not caring for one another. I, I've got that person, I'm going to name that person, I'm going to show you who that person is. So, of course, the church was full at 6 o'clock on a Sunday evening. And when they came in, there was a casket at the head of the, uh, up at the altar. And, uh, and he said, now, here's what I'm going to do. I want you to walk by, and I'm going to show you in that casket who's the worst person in this church. And when they walked by, they noticed there was a mirror in the bottom of that casket. Now, that's, that's a little bold, but... But I think it accomplished his purpose. The only ones that get in the way of God doing what he wants to do in and through you and in and through the church is right in here. It's us. When we get out of the way of what God wants to do, God is able to do it. And he's able to do, us, do things in us and through us we never thought we could do in and of ourselves. That means I can still love that brother who did me wrong. I can still serve that person who doesn't seem to care at all about me. I can still be humble and gentle toward others because Christ in me allows me to do it. You see, we have to be the church, not just be declared the church. The third thing is that we discover what we are to do. In verse 3, make every effort or diligently try to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That word effort 
It means constantly and consistently making an effort to keep unity. In other words, we go out of our way to unify with others and to keep the body of Christ unified. Now, it's talk, not talking about being uniform. And that doesn't mean we have to do everything exactly the same way and agree on everything. But we have to have a unified spirit. Unified, focused on Jesus Christ. Unified, focused on his mission and our purpose. And unified as the body of Christ if we're going to make the impact that we need to make in the community. Constantly seeking to do that. Unity is oneness. And that oneness is what helps us fulfill the call. The other term here is uh, the word bond, and it means to jointly tie together. It's like a ligament, and it has the idea of uniting one another. In James 3, 13 through 18, it says this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let, it, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So we're to live our lives representing Christ in humility and gentleness in the spirit of God, which results in peacefulness. We know where the biggest problem is. And the only way to deal with that is through prayer and confession and acknowledgement. We have to set aside our personal preferences and discover what God's will is for us individually, as a family, as a church. And when everyone is looking to Christ, he will bring them together in unity. The second thing I want to talk about this morning is the foundation of the church in verses 4 through 6. Many people today seek to unite all churches and beliefs. And they'll say, well, why, why can't we just have one, one church? Why can't we just bring all these beliefs together? The problem is, is because they're not all the same belief. And the other problem is they're not all the same God. Uh, people want this, this coming together in a humanitarian way to try and bring peace into the world. But it's never going to happen. It hasn't happened in the past. It's not going to happen in the future. The Bible is very clear about this. We can't all just be what we want to be and come together and bring all different kinds of beliefs and thoughts and philosophies and think that somehow that is going to be a church. It is not. That's why there are times when people come into the body of Christ and have their own agenda, have their own ideas, have their own belief systems, and they want to bring those into the church. The church has a responsibility to keep those things out. The elders and the pastors and the deacons, they help protect the church from that happening. And Paul is very clear about that. Notice what he says. He says that there is one body. There is one church. There's not 
two, there's not a multitude. And when I'm talking about church, I'm talking about the overall church, the universal church of all those who are born again believers through faith in Jesus Christ, who have confessed their sin, who have repented of their sin, and have, who have uh, put their faith in Jesus Christ because he has paid the price for that sin himself. What he did on the cross was sufficient to pay the price for their sin. They receive that. They accept it. They ask forgiveness. They become born again. They have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the body of Christ. And remember, Jesus said there is no other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, absolutely no one comes to the Father except through him. There is one body that's all believers from beginning to the end who will be in the kingdom at some point. There is one spirit. There are not multiple spirits. There is one Holy Spirit that indwells each believer that has brought us into the family by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Having that same spirit means that we are driven by the same needs, by the same motives, by the same uh, power that we're empowered with. One spirit guides all the children that are part of the body of Christ. There's only one spirit. And that spirit comes upon you when you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. You have everything you need when you come to Christ. You are full of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to get more. You're not going to get less. He's there. And he's given you all the things you need with all of your background and gifts and how he designed you to go out and to serve him. Notice it also says we have one hope. When you were called, this hope is in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That hope is that promise that we're only in this world for a period of time. We will ultimately be with him for eternity. We have that hope and that promise that he's going to come back someday. Or if we die before he gets here, we'll go be with him. We have that hope. We have that promise from him. That is one hope. There is one Lord, the Lord and the Master one authority in our lives and in the body of Christ to lead us and to direct us. And in Matthew 28, 18, it, that, that one single verse right there, Jesus said, all authority is given me in heaven and on earth. He is the Lord. If he is the Lord, then he is our master. If he is our master, then we are his servants. We are literally his slaves. And I want you to think about that just briefly for a moment. A slave only has one duty, and that is to be obedient to the Lord and the master of their life. Jesus paid the price for us. We were on the slave block of sin. He paid to have us taken off that with his shed blood. And so our own purpose is to be obedient to him and to trust him. The Lord and the master takes care of everything else. He provides the shelter, the food. He provides all the resources needed for life. Everything we need, he gives us. And we simply submit to him and surrender to him to follow and be obedient. We have one faith 
This is the unity of the faith, the basic doctrines of salvation. Who God is, who Jesus Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, who we are, what sin is, how we overcome sin through faith. The very basic doctrines of our faith which bring us into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. There is one baptism and that baptism happens at the indwelling of the Spirit of God when the sinner confesses their sin and repents and trusts Christ as Savior and Lord. That baptism is not talking about the water baptism. It's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes in when we receive Christ and we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. One Spirit, one baptism. There is one God and Father of all. That has been the theme throughout Scripture. It is always, always has been it always will be. There is not the God of casual reference or pagan belief. This is the one true God, the Jehovah God, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of life, the, the redeemer through Jesus Christ. He is father, he is judge, and he is the justifier of those who believe in him. This is a specific God. This is the one and only God that Paul sought to introduce to, to the philosophers of Athens. In Athens, or in Acts 17.22, it says this, as Paul is speaking to those who were the philosophers. He said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Have you ever just driven through or walked through your community or, or just gone around town and thought, how many gods do people have? Gods that are objects, gods that are philosophies. For many, they're their own God. They haven't been introduced to the one true God. There is one God and one Father of all. And then he closes that section with this, who is over all and through all and in all. Isn't that wonderful? God is the all in all. He is the great I am. He is the one who loves us, cares for us, redeems us, provides all the resources that we have need of in order to serve as his children. The third thing here is the ministry of the church in verses 7 through 13. Paul then transitions to explain the gift God has given to each believer. Again, you have gifts. Now, we're born and wired with certain abilities, likes, dislikes, um, capabilities, uh, all the things that, that make us who we are. Each one of us is unique and each one of us is individual and no two of us are alike. But through Christ, through the Holy Spirit coming into you, that Holy, the Holy Spirit will maximize some of those gifts and give you new gifts that maybe you didn't even know you had. And we know the scripture tells us not everybody has the same gift, how boring would that be? What if we all had the gift of hospitality? We'd all be sitting around the table eating potluck dinner all the time. That's what happens in heaven, not down on earth. You all have gifts, but they're not the same gift. So notice what he says in verse 7. To each one, to each believer, believer grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He designed you 
to have certain gifts that relate to his will and his purpose for you as his child. Just like families who have multiple children, you can talk to them and they can see the different giftedness, the different abilities, the different personalities. God has done that in you. The big challenge is discovering what those are and then using them for his glory. Two things are interesting here. Each believers receive God's grace. And this is not about saving grace, but it's serving grace. Uh, the grace that has been given to each one is certainly associated with those spiritual gifts that it talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 and some other passages. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, it says this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good. So what his grace gifts are in you are supposed to be used together to help unify the church, to keep peace, and to help us stay focused on the mission. These grace gifts are not your natural abilities or talents. They are gifts that are given to each born-again believer as God designs and apportions. Now, it'd be great if we could pick our gifts. God, I'd like to have this gift. God says, oh, great, yeah. You're kind of like everybody else. They all, you all want the same gift. But if God did that, we would not have a body of Christ that can function in meeting the needs within itself and outside in the community. We need each and every one of you. Uh, Rick Warren, back 20, 30 years ago probably now, uh, made the statement, um, everybody has a spiritual gift and everybody's a 10 with that spiritual gift. If you maximize the use of what God has gifted you to do, you're going to uh, be able to focus and do it very, very, very well because God has designed you that way. And then Paul quotes from Psalm 68, 18 and, and then explains that in verses 9 and 10. Uh, what he says down in this passage is that uh, he makes reference uh, to this grace gift. And it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. It comes from Psalms. And in verse 9, he goes on to explain that. What does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Now that means that he was in heaven, he came down to earth, and there's a lot that's involved in that. But then he went back into heaven after he accomplished what he needed to do here on earth in order to fill the whole universe. It was he then who came down to earth, Jesus Christ, who died, rose from the grave, uh, went down, proclaimed his victory uh, in, in the lower parts of the earth, down in hell, and then went back up into heaven after he revealed himself to his disciples and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And it says that it is he then who has given us these spiritual gifts. And he gave us some examples through some leaders. And it says this, he gave some apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. The apostles, the word means one who's sent by commission. In Acts chapter 1, when they had to replace 
uh, Judas as one of the apostles. Uh, they found one who had witnessed the resurrection. And, and technically, that's what the apostle was during this time. Those who had seen the resurrected Christ. They were the ones who were the foundation for establishing the church who God was going to speak through to help write the word of God, who would send others out and plant churches throughout all of the region. They were the basis for which the church was begun. That's why they walked with Jesus for the time that they did to prepare them for that. It was necessary for them to have seen the resurrected Christ. Then it says that there were prophets. It's not a refer reference necessarily to predicting the future, but one who proclaims the word of God, one who interprets what God has said from the Old Testament as they understood it, one who teaches those and prophesies and speaks to men to strengthen and encourage them and bring comfort and to give direction to them. Then there are the evangelists, and that is the preacher of the gospel. And everybody is an evangelist in one way or another. There are those who are gifted in evangelism. You may remember that Paul told his disciple Timothy to go and do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist is one who goes and shares the good news about Jesus Christ. These were gifted men who traveled about with the good news of Jesus. And then there are pastors and teachers, uh, literally uh, shepherds and instructors. Uh, these two represent one minister who both cares for a local body of believers and teaches them. Now there were problems in the early church just like there are in the church today. And Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 5 when he tells them how they need to lead as elders in the church. And he was a fellow elder. And this is what he writes to them in 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter said to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds or pastors of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money. Now in the King James, it says not, uh, not greedy for filthy lucre, and I like that, that terminology better. It has... To me, it has more power to it, filthy lucre. Don't do it for that. But eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There's a responsibility for those who are leaders within the church, and they will stand accountable before God. That's what the pastor is responsible for. Now notice the purpose here. The purpose is to prepare or to equip or to completely furnish God's people for works of service. That's the term that we get our term deacon from, diaconia. Prepare God's people for works of service. Now, it doesn't mean that those men or those place, uh, uh, responsibilities that are listed, they don't do anything. No. Because as a leader, you are a model for everyone else. That's, again, part of the discipleship. Teaching and training. Sharing and walking with someone that they might become mature in Christ. But the whole goal is that the body of Christ is prepared for works of service. The body of Christ is out in doing ministry. The body of Christ, the whole church, is engaged in 
growing and reaching and teaching and ministering and sharing. Now the goals are listed here as well. The goal is to build up the body of Christ, to strengthen the body of Christ, to reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to become mature and to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if you write those four things down as goals that God has given us, I guess the question would be if you were to rate yourself one to ten on each one of those goals, how would you end up? Are my goals to help build up the body of Christ? Are my goals as a child of God to reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God? Are my goals to become mature? You see, we never stop learning. We never get there down here on earth. But we should be maturing in the faith and attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, people can be members of a church for 30 or 40 or 50 years and never mature in Christ. They can live among believers but not serve as believers. Our goals should be that of Jesus. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. He's empowered you. We've talked about that. And now he is talking about how you are equipped. Do you have a commitment to take the equipment and the resources that God is providing you right here and maximizing them and using them for his glory? That's really the question that we have. You cannot function, grow, and minister effectively outside the local body of Christ. The body of Christ is where you interact with other believers in worship, prayer, Bible study, ministry, and outreach. No person has all the gifts necessary to accomplish that. People say, well, I don't have to go to church. Well, you don't have to go necessarily to a building, but you have to be part of the body of Christ. You can't isolate yourself from that, and you need one another. That's why people in around the world where there's great opposition and persecution will go out of their way and take great risk to be in the fellowship with other believers because they need that fellowship. They need the Spirit together. They need to focus and pray and they need to grow and study and serve together. That's the body of Christ. That's the church. People will say, oh, I can't find a church. So you're looking for the wrong thing. There are bodies of believers all over this city Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, God-honoring believers. Don't tell me you can't find a church because that tells me you're looking for your personal preference, not for God's will and purpose in your life. He gifted you to be a part of a body. Find the body of Christ. Engage in it. Commit to it. Work through it. Struggle with it. Have joy through it. We have to bridge together and become the body we're designed to be. And there is great joy in that for those who know Christ and serve him. Are there struggles? You bet. Always going to be struggles, just like your family. No perfect family. Always struggles, always things going wrong, always challenges. That's the body of Christ. But listen, when you work through them and pray through them and struggle through them and sweat through them together, it brings you together. 
And you'll be able to fulfill the goals that God has given us as his body here on earth. And that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. You're not part of the body. You can be part of a church, by the way. Have membership in a church, but not be part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ only comes through faith in Jesus. Confession of sin, repenting, turning away from your way of doing things and following Jesus and putting your faith and trust in him, believing that he paid the price for your sin on the cross. And when you acknowledge that and you pray and ask him to forgive you, he will forgive you and you will become a new a new believer, a new creation in Jesus. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Let me close us in a word of prayer here. And what I'd like to do, I'd like you to take just a moment, just a brief moment, and ask this question. God, are my goals your goals? Am I engaged using my giftedness in this body of believers as you would will me to? And then let God give you the answer and you can respond accordingly to him take a moment just for prayer and I'll close this Father it's so difficult for us to acknowledge sin we, we're, we're easily to acknowledge the big stuff the big sins but Lord there's also that sin of disobedience that sin of disengagement, the sin of personal preference and pride that gets in the way of us truly uniting and serving and being part of a, a body of Christ. That sin of unforgiveness and not making peace. I pray that you will help us as a body of believers to confess that, repent of it, confess it, and change and engage where we need to engage using the giftedness you've given us. Lord, we need a solid, strong body of Christ to engage the world in which we live. It will only happen through submissive children and a commitment to serve you and fulfill the goals you've given us. I pray for that to happen. I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you've spoken to us, and I pray that we'll respond according to your will and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go, uh, Ben Wine is, has an announcement uh, for you. And so, um, Ben, I will get out of the way. <laughs> thank you, John. I'd like to call the elders, if you would all join us up here, David and Ruth. Can't see with the, with the lights. You know, one of the nice things about uh, being able to do the announcement, you don't have to wear one of these for a few minutes, so it's a great thing.
We want to thank you, uh, Pastor Torrenson, for that message today on the body of Christ. Uh, we are truly blessed by that, and we so appreciate you and the message that you faithfully uh, bring to us every weekend. We'd be honored if you would join us up here as well. Thanks. Well, good morning, Hop in Town, uh, and those joining us online. My name is Ben Wine, and I'm chairman of the elders. And the elders are pleased to present David Hopkins and Gregory Elder to the congregation for consideration as elders. We believe that both men have proven themselves to be shepherds of the body of Hoppentown and are both qualified to be called according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Gregory, unfortunately, couldn't be here with us today. He helped his son move to Texas, so he's finishing up his self-quarantine, but we know that he's joining us online, so uh, you'll be... Thinking about him as we go through this, that'd be great. Last year, the elders requested the congregation to consider nominations, uh, nominating individuals that met the spiritual qualifications of elder. David and Gregory were both nominated uh, at that time, and their nominations have been under consideration for about a year. There have been a, a number of things to consider along the way that have been deliberated extensively, such as should paid staff be considered for the role of elder? Which paid staff should be considered for the role of elder? And how many paid staff should be put forwarded? These are just examples of some of the things that we had to work through in order to get to the point where we're at today. God's word was studied uh, and prayed over. Past and current bylaws were reviewed. And other uh, Baptist church leadership structures were evaluated. After extensively praying about and evaluating these issues, the Elder Council has determined that God is leading us to include both David and Gregory as elders at Hoffmantown. As, as is required by the bylaws, the congregation has the next 30 days to consider the qualifications for David and Gregory, which we affectionately refer to as the dreaded 30 days. If you have any concerns which are biblically based, please state your concerns in writing and provide the appropriate individual and the Elder Council with your concerns. All such communications will be addressed appropriately. If members of the body feel free, uh, feel led to do so, uh, letters, cards, and emails of encouragement sent to Gregory and to David are always welcome. Please keep David and Ruth, Gregory and Katrina, and the elders in prayer as we, forgive, as we begin this process. I'd like to uh, give Tom Cottle the, the mic as he leads us in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are most glorious and gracious. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity that you give us to, to serve you. Lord, we thank you for lifting these men up, Lord, to be elders of this church. Lord, that we might, as a group, be your shepherds uh, over this flock. Lord, we just thank you for every gift that you give us. We thank you for the gifts that they have shown throughout the years of service here at the church. Lord, we pray for us as a congregation, Lord, that, that we might have eyes to see where you're leading, Lord, ears to hear what you're calling, Lord, and the heart to follow where you're going. So, Lord, for both these families, Lord, we pray for you to lift them up, Lord, to give them your strength, your comfort, Lord, through all the circumstances that go on, Lord, that we know you are in charge of all things. And so, Lord, we just offer them to you, Lord, Lord we offer ourselves to you. Lord, that in everything we do, everything we say, everything we are, we bring glory and honor to your name. Amen.
All right, you're dismissed. Thank you all very much.